Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Academic Life Channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Malone. Today, we'll be talking to Brooke Lombardi about her experiences as a graduate student and a mother during this global pandemic. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dana. It's good to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the channel um, and to have to have you come Me on. Too. Thank you for um, agreeing to share your very valuable experiences for yeah. us at this time. Um, so, Brooke, I hope um, that you can begin maybe by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. So I live right outside of the Raleigh area in North Carolina in a town, a very rapidly growing town called Apex with my partner and our two girls who are seven and four. And I am a candidate, a PhD candidate at UNC Chapel Hill in the School of Social Work. And I study perinatal health and the intersection between perinatal health and histories of sexual victimization and trauma. Thank you. could you go a little bit more um, into kind of um, what drew you to pursue a PhD and, and maybe speak a little bit more about why you chose social work and perinatal health um, as your focus? Yeah, sure. So um, so I went to a small undergraduate university um, in Kentucky and and after um, it well and I met I met some folks in Kentucky who were um, just kind of starting their journeys in working in the field of anti-human trafficking. And I was super interested in that and really just met kind of the right people at the right time and had the opportunity to travel and volunteer and work and live for a number number of years in South Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, I mainly lived in Thailand, but traveled around various different countries. And um, I was doing prevention and intervention work in the field of sex trafficking. And, um, you know, I got to do everything from from volunteer coordinating to co-facilitating support groups to going to language school to babysitting babies um, so their moms could could work. Um, And these were really phenomenal and also really challenging experiences. And so then it was pretty evident for me that it was time to further my education. So it was 2011 that I moved back to North Carolina and got into a master's program, um, a master's social work program at UNC Chapel Hill. And, um, and also in that time I had my two kids and, um, after my, um, master's program, I was really reflecting upon um, my experiences as a mother and was really drawn to becoming a birth doula. And so I did the training and um, the whole process and became a birth doula. And so there I was, I had my master's in social work and I was working, um, doing some, some programs with the state Um, with children who had experienced trauma and um, also practicing uh, as a birth doula and raising children. And um, it was in that experience that I, you know, there was a number of things that happened. One is that 
I started to think about my experiences as a birth doula and supporting women who were pregnant and birthing and in the new postpartum days and really thinking, gosh, like we know that so many women have experienced some variation of unwanted sexual experiences. And, and so how does that affect women when they're pregnant or birthing or postpartum? So, so that perinatal period, which is conception to one year postpartum is, is what we think of as perinatal. And, and I had never really thought about that. And, um, it was these experiences as a birth doula that started to really mesh and, and, um, mold with my experiences as a, um, social worker working with people who had experienced sexual victimization. And, um, and then I think the other thing that really feeds into this is I had some really phenomenal faculty members at UNC during my master's program um, that, that, that were amazing um, professors and I learned so much from them and um, was really, it was in my master's program that I started to think like, I think I really want to teach, which I, I never really wanted to be a teacher, but it was watching these professors teach and really shape the lives of future social workers that, that started to maybe, um, draw me to that area. So, so that's sort of a long story to say, like I had these experiences as a birth doula and a social worker. And then I also was really drawn to, teaching and higher education. And so after a few years um, of being out of my master's program, I was still here in North Carolina, now with my two kids. And um, I started to think, like, I'm ready for a PhD. And um, I knew that I wanted to go back to UNC. And UNC is a, a pretty competitive PhD program to get in, but I, um, I was really happy in my job and I thought, okay, I'm going to apply and I'm just going to keep applying until I get in. And, um, if I don't get in the first time, I will apply again the second year and keep working. Well, I got in the first year and I was so excited. And, um, so there are six folks in my cohort and now I am a fourth year and, um, have uh, reached the level of candidacy and am slowly chipping away at my dissertation, which I know we're going to get into here in a little bit. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the main points. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing some of your story with us. And I, um, I, I want to circle back to that time um, around your undergraduate and, and just note for listeners that that, um, that we met um, back in your undergraduate days. And so I was a resident director and uh, Brooke was one of my RAs on my staff. Um, and so we go way back. Um, we stayed connected after um, we uh, after her undergraduate and when I left the institution, we stayed connected and have stayed connected and just grew closer and closer um, through the years um, and those experiences of, you know, doing graduate school and having babies and all of those sorts of things. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so we, we have shared um, many years together at this point. Um, so I met and, you, I think when you were like a sophomore or something. Yeah. <laughs> and now, and our kids are, are pretty close in age. Yes. Um, so we also went through the transition to 
motherhood together. Motherhood together. Yes. Yes. And, um, and so I just, I like to provide that context for listeners to know that there's, there is a history here, um, and, and a deep one. So, um, and I do know, I do know your story and I, and which is why I asked you on the show. I think it's a very valuable story for, for, um, people to hear. And I'm sure there are others who will connect to some of the things we'll talk about today. Um, you shared about your program. So thank you for that. Um, if you just, you know, just briefly, maybe tell us a little bit about what your research looks like, because you are ABD. So congratulations on that. That's a huge milestone. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about what that research is looking like, and then we'll kind of talk about, you know, from there, what, what this pandemic has meant for that for you. So if you want to start with the research piece. Yeah, sure. So, so I think, um, maybe even a little more background might be helpful. So for anyone who is an Enneagram junkie, um, I am an Enneagram three. And so I, um, you know, I'm, I'm a go-getter and I'm like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it happen. And so I came into the program and I was like, all right, I'm going to graduate in four years and be in um, a tenure track position and, um, and be happily on my way. And, uh, yeah, needless to say, 2020 hit and um, it, you know, it's thrown a wrench in things. But um, my research is, is, is really around um, the intersection between um, past histories of sexual victimization and how that may or may not predict peritraumatic stress. So PTSD in the perinatal period. And so um, I look at recognizing, reducing, and treating peritraumatic stress for survivors of sexual victimization. Um, and this really is um, kind of full spectrum from working with survivors to um, to working with providers who will and, and do see these patients. Um, so a lot of it is is, you know, what are... Um, what are the ways that we can help providers? So, you know, OBGYN, midwives, labor and delivery nurses, um, doulas, lactation consultants, be more trauma-informed and really treat every woman as if they have experienced something um, difficult. Uh, And then also helping survivors prepare themselves for, for the difficulties, the, the often very unexpected difficulties that the perinatal period, uh, experience can be. Um, you know, we, we very much think of birth and the perinatal experience as this idyllic time of just it being complete bliss, but we know that for survivors, it's really not like that. So my research is really focused on, you know, first bringing awareness to this issue. Um, and then also like, what do we do with this? Okay. Thank you. So if you're willing to, I I'd like to kind of switch gears and I'd like to go back to last March and the moment of the shutdown. What was that time for like for you as a graduate student and a researcher and a mother? Yeah. So, um, so I had already um, reached candidacy, and um, so I was super excited to be. So I had just reached candidacy, and I was super excited to be home and working on my dissertation and just jamming out in my research. 
Um, and then, uh, the shutdown happened and my, my oldest was six at the time and was in kindergarten and thriving. And my youngest was three at the time and was in daycare and, um, and then daycare shut down and then the school went to remote and all of a sudden I had a, um, I had a, uh, you know, family, um, in our home and my, my partner, um, is an attorney and, and she was home. So now all of a sudden she went from going to work every day and me being home and writing and the kids being in school all day to all of us being home. Um, and so I did a lot of, um, that Enneagram threeing of like, I'm going to do this. It's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. We're going to make it. And, um, and then, you know, things shifted over time. I wouldn't say they shifted quickly for me. Um, I would say it's been, it's been a process of sort of figuring out, um, what I need to do that's going to be best for me and my family. Um, so, so yeah, I, I went from, um, being, uh, very, um, what's the word I want to use just, uh, quick and, and, and efficient. I think that's the best word efficient. I would put goals down for the week, meet them to all of a sudden being really inefficient <laughs> and um, really having to, to slowly make the shift of like, well, it's not that I'm inefficient. It's that the world has collapsed around <laughs> me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, and here we are, you know, in January and um, we, yeah, like my, the, the, preschool that my daughter's at has been opened and closed and opened and closed with the the high rates here in North Carolina. And then my daughter's been on a, um, hybrid in-person remote track. And, um, and so we're still in it. We're still in the thick of it. No, oh, yes. Yes, we are. Um, so, um, when you look back at that time now, and it's been almost a year. So as of today, we are we are at the end of January in 2021 recording. Um, so it's been almost a year, close to it. And what stands out to you about that that early time that that shutdown time? Mm. Um, you know what stands out to me is that I just didn't know what was coming. Um. I mean, none of us did, um, but that there was no way to prepare myself for the length and intensity and duration of how things were going to unfold. And so I was trying to, I look back and I was trying to proceed as normal when nothing was normal and, um, and trying to make something, you know, make, make, um, you know, something fit into, you know, this, this piece in my life that wouldn't fit of, of trying to do it all of having kids at home. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, I would tell, I would tell my colleagues. So one of the things that I didn't mention is that I also, um, am an adjunct and have been an adjunct at a, uh, at Elon university, which is a small private 
university here in North Carolina. And I would, I would joke to my colleagues that like, give me undergraduates every single day to teach, but trying to teach my kindergartner is horrific. (laughs) And, um, and that was true. Like I went from being home and, and writing to all of a sudden having to homeschool my kindergartner and having my three-year-old run around. And, um, you know, I'll never forget like the day I come downstairs and it's like seven in the morning and we're like in the midst of the shutdown. And she's like on the couch in her underwear eating chocolate chips. And while I have to like log my six-year-old into a Zoom call that wouldn't work. I mean, that was just the life. So like, (laughs) I was trying to like tell myself, but I'm still going to get all this done. And here I am like having a three-year-old half naked eating chocolate chips and a six-year-old who I'm trying to teach, you know, kindergarten to. It was just, it was wild Um, and, and hard and crazy and and all the while, I'm trying to tell myself, but it's normal. We got this. We can make this our normal. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to circle back to something else you said earlier, you you said something to the effect of this idea of like you were telling yourself, like, I'm not inefficient. It's the world that has collapsed around me in, in essence. And so, um, I, you know, I, I love that idea or just that, that sentiment because it speaks to... I think this internal mental work that so many of us are doing um, or having to do or like on a regular, sometimes minute by minute basis, right? Of reminding ourselves of who we are um, at our core. Um, I am also a three on the Enneagram. Um, and and it, sometimes it feels like you're, you know, trying to run in mud, like you have all these things you need to do and want to do, but it's just not possible um, or it's happening at a such slower pace. Um, and so that mental and emotional work, that internal work that we need to do to remind ourselves that, you know, in some ways, like it's because I speak in relationship speak all the time, like it's not it's not me. It's you. It's you, the world. Like, uh, yeah. but we have to respond and we have to adapt, right? And so, um, our internal self talk has to change, and um, and and sometimes our expectations. A lot of times, our expectations have to change. And so, you know, I love that you like kind of you know um, gave voice to that internal talk that so many of us, I'm sure, are doing um, in this time and have had to do um, and are still doing, as you said. Um, so in terms of, you know, the shutdown and the closing of schools, so you said you were home writing. So I was kind of curious if you could speak a little bit more um, on kind of what that really realistically looked like. Where where, where were you? And, and um, with the research piece, were you, you know, working at lit reviews? Were you, you know, in the middle of, so maybe, you know, expound a little bit more on what your project is, is looking like, um, your dissertation project in terms of, you know, how you're collecting or generating data and, and and how this um, has impacted your ability to do that. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, when, so to provide a little context, my, my partner and I bought a home, um, actually it was the week before the shutdown. Um, we signed a contract and bought a home and we were renting a town home um, just about five minutes away. And, um, you know, at the beginning of the shutdown, I had set up a, I had set up a um, desk in our master bedroom. Um, and then she was in what was our office because then she got moved home. 
Um, and she also had to do like court calls. So she needed um, like a, a secluded office space. So I was like in our master bedroom and, um, and it was, <laughs> it was a, a really interesting experience to just get up and start the kids days and go back to the bedroom and, um, and, and have this pseudo space there. <laughs> um, and, and then we, so we, we signed a contract on our home and, um, and then we, we, our home, we built our home. And, um, so we moved in in August and, um, and so now she's still working from home and, and we share an office. Um, but yeah, so, so, um, oh, you know, the kids are, the kids are in and out. So, um, I, (laughs) I have told people that like on my zoom meetings that, um, everyone knows my now four-year-old because she's often sitting in my lap. Um, and I'm really thankful to be in the field of perinatal health because there is often someone else on the call who is nursing a baby or rocking a baby to sleep or whatnot. And then there's my four-year-old who's just like making faces at the zoom call. Um, so that's kind of how my meetings go, but, you know, as far as writing, um, everything was also put on hold. And I think, you know, I, I think your question sort of speaks to this, um, piece of transition of like, how did I get from, well, everything's normal to, okay, everything has shut down and, and, um, kind of the reckoning is what I, is the way I think of it. Like, when did I have this internal reckoning of, okay, nothing is normal. Like I need to re regroup here. And, and I think there were a couple of things that happened. Um, you know, one, like the, the job market crashed. Um, so all the, uh, universities I had thought about applying to are, were on hiring freezes, are on hiring freezes, um, still, and, um, and then, you know, one of the, the pieces of my dissertation is, is collecting qualitative data. And I'm working with, um, some community partners who are doulas. And, um, for anyone who is in the doula world, doulas were no longer allowed in hospitals and, and some doulas are still not allowed in hospitals. And so my partners, um, you know, we went from like, okay, we're going to, um, have this IRB approved and we're going to start recruiting and collecting to um, we haven't started recruiting yet because um, things are just still things were and still are crazy and everyone is still trying to figure out um, kind of what direction is forward in um, in the world of, of doulas. Um, and so things shifted there and then um you know, just my own ability to sit and write. Um, I, I'm someone who needs like solid blocks of, of time and quiet. And that's just not something that happens in my home these days. And so I think the internal reckoning happened when I realized like, even if I try to make this work, all of the moving parts around me are not going to keep up. And so I can either try to make all this work and push against um, kind of this tidal wave and and collapse, or I can figure out what direction I need to move. And so that was that was when I um, really started to to think through, okay, what would it look like to shift my plans and to really give myself permission 
to um, to shift gears here and and add on some more time because my um, as far as my qualitative project goes for my dissertation, like this isn't moving very very quickly. Um, the job market is is not great at all, um, and my kids are still home, and so all of these pieces are not changing. And so, what do I need to shift? And so, thankfully, I have a um, a really wonderful chair and committee, um, and you know, everyone's understanding. And so, um, here I am, this this uh, go getter of I'm going to be in and out in four years, and um, and that shifted, and it needed to shift. And and now I know it's it's for the best, um, but. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a process to get there. And so, um, on a given day I'm writing, but also making lunch and setting up a zoom call or on a, in a meeting with my four-year-old waving hi, um, or my four-year-old who still needs to nap and <laughs> begging her to go lay down for a nap. Um, you know, so, so it's a, it's still wild over here. Um, but I think what has shifted is, um, giving myself more space and time and knowing that um, if I'm in this for a really solid product of a dissertation and um, something that's going to shape me as um, an academic, like I need to give myself the time to make that happen and make it happen well, um, rather than rush through it. Because maybe I could have finished in in a year uh, or this year, but like it wouldn't have been solid and I and it wouldn't have been um, something that, that was, was me, it would have just been kind of forced. And so, um, yeah. Uh, no, that, yeah. that's, that's good. Thank you. Well, can you talk a little bit about, um, and I love that idea of the shift, that internal shift, um, internal reckoning as you kind of phrased it. Um, so what, um, can you talk maybe a little bit more about, Oh, like your timeline. So how, how has that changed? Is, is there even a workable timeline for you? Because it sounds like that some of your qualitative work with doulas is, is that correct? Like the qualitative pieces with the doulas and that needs to be happening or ideally happening within the hospitals. And that's just not happening right now. And so is that kind of just, is that piece just sort of on hold and are you moving forward in other, on other elements of, of your research? So what is that, how has that shifted, you know, in, in real terms, the, the focus of what you're doing on the day to day and have you just shelved some of that or how have you made those adjustments with your research? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, the, the qualitative piece is with um, survivors and providers and doulas. And, um, and so that has shifted in the sense of um, we went from planning on conducting focus groups to um, we'll still have focus groups if people are available, but we're going to move to individual interviews um, is the plan. And but also like folks, folks capacity from from mothers to doulas to providers, everyone is at max capacity. So we're really aware that asking people for their time, even an hour of their time is really hard these days. Um, and, you know, particularly when everyone has kids home or most people have kids home. Um, and we know that physicians are just maxed out because um, many physicians are being required to add on additional clinical hours um, because of the high, you know, rates of COVID. And so, so that is, um, going to happen slowly, but surely. 
Um, and, and I, um, yeah, I mean, I have moved my timeline by from graduating in, um, May of 2021 to May of 2022. And, um, and so what that means for me is I will have the rest of the semester and the summer and next school year to work on my dissertation. And that just feels like so, um, good to me and right for me. And, um, and then I think for me, it's, it's figuring out, um, what, um, pieces of that project I take on at what times. And so, uh, you know, for my more quantitative, um, sections of my dissertation, um, being able to, uh, do that when I have, um, folks on my committee more readily available. Um, and so that will be more of a school year project, whereas maybe writing, um, one of my, um, I'm doing a meta-analysis for another part of my dissertation. And so that is something that I plan to really focus on this semester and this summer, um, because I won't, need as much, um, support in that as I would in, in doing my, you know, more rigorous analyses. Um, and so it's really thinking through like, what are, what are other folks capacities, um, with everything going on and, and really putting that into from, from now until April when my dissertation is due to the grad school, April of April, 2022. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know from experience that, you know, a dissertation takes um, a lot of moving parts to to generate that data and to plan that data. And there's a lot of pieces that are dependent on if you're doing field work or, you know, having participants and that sort of thing that requ- is dependent on other people. Um, and, and just hearing you talk about what that has meant for your planning um, and the pieces of your dissertation in the middle of a global pandemic that has just um, really uh, kind of taken the rug out from underneath everyone and every kind of institution um, that you're working with is, is um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just impressed. I'm impressed that the level of flexibility that you and so many other graduate students are having to display at this, at this time and, um, and that shifting and that, I mean, it takes a lot to plan and organize, um, you know, the multiple dimensions of, of a research project like this, and then having so many moving parts that change daily, um, and regularly with the regulations and what's allowed and what's not that it's, um, it's quite, it's um, quite a challenge. And it really, um, yeah, I just, you know, the part of, part of the, you know, wanting to do this episode was to, to, to name these things, to talk about these things. So other student, graduate students hear other stories that maybe resemble some pieces of their own. So they know like, and that you, I mean, I think we know in our heads, we're not alone, but sometimes hearing someone else's story just helps you really know it um, on, on a deeper level that you're not alone. And this has just affected so much um, in the, by way of, of research and, um, uh, and for graduate students, especially who are on a clock in a way and, and paying for courses and paying for their programs and, and anticipating job markets and things like that. So, um, it's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. Um, and you, so I, I want to talk a little, um, a little bit about, or circle back to something else that you said, because one of the things I wanted to ask was kind of like how this year has changed you, um, and the lessons you're taking away from this time. And, and you kind of address that as well in terms of, you know, almost doing this, that internal reckoning with, you know, that number three kind of achiever 
part of you. Um, and I, and I can relate this idea of like, you've always operated a certain way in the world. And now the world has so drastically changed that no matter, you can't will it, you can't work harder, you can't make a better plan to make it work necessarily. Cause there's so many other pieces outside your control. Um, that affect that. So, you know, you spoke to that earlier, but I'm wondering, you know, how do you anticipate, do you think that's something you're going to take with you beyond this time? Do you think that's a a permanent change within you or is that just kind of a temporary, um, you know, shift to get, to get through this time? How do you anticipate or what what are you, what are your thoughts about that, that internal shifting that you've had to do and and the lasting effects of that for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's been, um, a really significant lesson in my life. And if I'm being honest, this is something that I, um, some of this wasn't so new to the pandemic. Um, but the pandemic definitely, (laughs) um, exacerbated, highlighted, uh, the intensity of it was, was like none other. Um, but just this idea of like, is this timeline is what I'm doing, um, truly best for me? And is this, um, am I trying to create something because I feel like this is what I should do? Um, because I am this high achieving person and, um, a lot of my identity is wrapped up in this high being a, you know, high achieving person. Um, or, um, is this what I'm doing because this is really what feels, um, like peace, in my body. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I try, I'm not always great at, but I try to do is sit for a minute with things, um, or a few minutes and kind of feel how it feels in, in my body. And does my chest feel tight? Do my shoulders feel tight? Um, is it, am I taking shallow breaths? And, you know, I, I think about, the decision that I made to add on this extra year. And, and initially that was, I was so resistant to that idea. Um, because I, I don't, I don't need that. Why would I need that? I can make anything work. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened in my life and, and I've come out on the other side, but so I can do this. Um, but when I think back to where I was then, like everything was tight when I think about my body and how I was sitting with all that. And when I had that call with my chair and I said, I got to call it. I got to call it. This isn't going to work. Um, I can't make this happen. There's again, like you said, that, that piece of the moving parts, like my moving parts are not moving. I'm moving, (laughs) but nothing else is moving. (laughs) And so, and actually I think I'm moving, but I'm not. And, um, and so I got to get all of these moving parts and myself moving, um, in sync. And, and that means adding on some more time here because I, um, I want to make this work and I want to make this work well. And I, and I want to be really proud of what comes of this, um, dissertation and, and the process of it, you know, it's not just the product, but it's so much more the process and, and the pieces that I'm taking away and learning from it as I do it. Um, and so, you know, I think back to where I was and, and, it didn't feel good in my body. And I didn't, I I wasn't listening to that. I think I recognized it, but I wasn't listening to it at the time. And then I think to like, after I got off the phone with my, or, or zoom, which is our our new, you know, meeting platform. um, After I got off zoom with my um, chair um, and I talked to another person on my committee um, as well. And, and, and 
after those conversations and that decision had been made and, and everything was good to go with adding on more time and, and this additional academic year, I, I, my chest wasn't tight. I could take deep breaths when I thought about it. My, my shoulders were relaxed and, um, and I thought, yeah, that, that was not just the right move because it was what had to happen with everything, with all the circumstances of what's going on, but it was the right move for me, um, and myself and my family and my career. And, um, and so I think this was another lesson in, um, what is my, what, what is, what, what's driving me right now? Um, is, is it the internal dialogue of I'm Brooke and I can, I'm a mover and a shaker and I make things happen? Or is it like, this is, I'm making this decision, decision even though it feels counter to um, the high achieving parts of me, um, the high achieving person of me, um, I'm making this decision because it is for my best. And, and so I think that that was, this was a huge lesson in that of, um, when it's necessary to take a step back, uh, whether it's small decisions or big decisions, um, and, and go, how does this feel? And what is, what is my driver here? What is my internal dialogue of why I'm trying to push through? Um, and, and, and that is, you know, again, like I said, like I, this is not necessarily a new lesson, but I think we, at least I think um, that we continue to experience things um, so we can learn our lessons more and more um, and be, be quicker and better at recognizing um, what needs to shift. And so this was a big one for me. And something I will most certainly take away. And as I think about, um, you know, this is a whole nother conversation for another day, but as I think about uh, what it means to be at um, a very prestigious uh, Research One institution and the pressure to be applying to other Research One universities. And, um, you know, I think about how that feels in my body versus how it feels in my body to think about applying to some smaller schools that maybe aren't research one, but are also really good schools that would afford me more um, work balance and, and family balance and things like that. Um, so I'm not there yet, but, but when I think about like other big decisions that I'll have to make, this is a, another lesson for me, this, this, these pandemic lessons um, and, and having to shift my timeline um, and rethink my dissertation process and all that has been really valuable in uh, for reminding me of um, upcoming decisions that I'm going to have to make and making sure I'm paying attention to what's driving those decisions, what, what voices I'm listening to, where my internal dialogue lies and where the external dialogue lies. Um, because for those of you in, uh, you know, academia, those external dialogues, um, with other academics go deep and um, making sure that I'm making decisions that are for me and for my best and not because this is how other people do it, or this is how I was doing it when I was in my first and second year and, you know, could be more efficient and, you know, all those things. So yeah, it, you know, 
long answer, yes, I will 100% take these lessons away. And it's been a really big reminder of um, the need to slow down and um, really think about how things are working and are they working and what might need to shift. Hmm. Those are, those are valuable lessons, not just for this time, but for, for life in general, I would say. Um, so uh, we have just a few minutes left, but um, when this pandemic is totally behind us, which seems almost impossible to imagine at this moment, um, but let's you know live in that world for a minute, that space if we can, and you're looking back on this period of your life, what do you hope to be able to say? Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, <laughs> um, I sort of, I, I sort of think I can say it now. Um, and, and I, and I hope to be able to continue to say it, which I imagine that I will, that, that despite the craziness of, of my partner and I working from home and our two young children being home so often, um, and, and all of us doing this um, unplanned, intent, in, intense day-to-day together. Um, one of my current takeaways, and I, and I really think and hope um, and, and know that one of my future takeaways will be um, how beautiful this time has been um, and how deeply grateful I have been and will be in the future for... Um, for the, the unplanned intense times together, um, the nightly dinners, you know, before the pandemic, um, like I said, my partner is an attorney and, um, work is intense. And so we, we didn't eat dinner as a family very often. And, um, now we eat dinner as a family because we're all home. Um, we watch, you know, America's Got Talent with the kids at night and or play Uno or whatever it is. And it's a really beautiful time that I I hope we never get back again because of another pandemic. But we probably will never get back again because our kids are getting older. And, um, you know, sitting on the couch together watching um, America's Got Talent and playing Uno probably won't be their priority for much longer. Um, and so it's been this really unexpected, beautiful, beautiful time and, and something I'm deeply, I recognize my gratitude for now. And I, and I really think as, um, I think into the future, I will very much recognize the beauty of this time later on. Hmm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I think for a lot of people, I've heard similar sentiments and it's, it's, it's a hard, um, like I think about that and I think that's, that is wonderful that so many people are taking, um, taking time to enjoy those, those moments. Um, and I, I just want to recognize though, too, like even as you were speaking, um, and describing it as a beautiful experience, which for you, I'm, I'm so glad that it has been. And I know many people who have experienced similar things. Um, but my heart also, it's, it's, I feel like we're living in this really hard time where even talking about things that are beautiful feels really weird because I think about so many people who, you know, have been just devastated, uh, by the pandemic. And so I think that's an important piece to recognize here too, that, um, and I know, I know you feel this and I feel this Mm -hmm. just grateful to be 
to be healthy, to, you know, still have, you know, employment opportunities and things like that. And, and, um, thinking about, um, and keep being mindful of those and, and who, who, who don't, who haven't. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to acknowledge that because I, I know I was feeling that even as you were speaking, I was resonating with what you were speaking about. And I'm sure there's so many who will resonate with that. And then there's also so many who would, you know, maybe even recoil a little. You do trauma work. You know what that's mm-hmm. like for yeah. people who have experienced trauma. And this pandemic is like a big collective trauma for everyone. Yeah. Um, I know you teach and I teach as well. And, and you know, trauma-informed pedagogy. I just did a presentation on it um, this week. And, you know, it's part of how we teach now using that yeah. kind of pedagogy. And so just recognizing that. And so that's all I wanted. I just felt like the right thing in this moment to recognize that, yes, there has been so much beauty. And I'm glad that you have that um, memory and that experience of this time. But even as you've spoken about throughout this episode um, and and this interview, there's been a lot of traumatic experiences um, and things that I know you haven't spoken about. And, and many people are in the same boat, things we say and things we don't say of the levels that this pandemic has, um, the levels of, of impact of this pandemic. And so... It is a, I, I feel like it is just this bittersweet time. So it, whenever there is a moment of, of that sweetness, you know that there's someone else who's experiencing the bitter and that's really hard and, and important to recognize, I think for all of us. Um, Absolutely. And so I, I want to thank you again, Brooke, for um, taking time to share your experiences, your journey, your story, your research with us. It's been really wonderful talking with you. I'm sure that, um, you know, so many people will resonate with some of the pieces that you've shared. And, um, and I, I hope that you and your family continue to stay safe. I know that you have family members who work in the hospitals down there in North Carolina and are doing really front lines work. So I hope that you all continue to stay safe and, um, and, um, thank you. Thank you for being on the thank show. You. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Dana Malone. This is The Academic Life, and you've been listening to New Books Network. Please join us again.